Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. It's been a sweltering July for large swaths of California, and that means air conditioners have been running on high and households lucky enough to have them. But the energy air conditioners consume and the refrigerants they rely on pose serious threats to the climate. Coming up on Forum, we'll learn what you can do to lessen your impact on the planet as you keep cool and hear about new air conditioning tech and California's efforts to make ACs greener. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. It's been a scorching July for much of California and for the entire globe as the Earth recorded its hottest week ever this month. The blazing heat is driving up demand for air conditioning units, and the 80 to 90 percent of American households that already have AC are using it more. But the energy air conditioners consume and the refrigerants they use have a big impact on the planet. So this hour, we want to hear what you do to use your AC more efficiently, or if you don't have it, what you do to keep cool. As always, you can email forum at kqed.org, post on our social channels, or call 866-733-6786. Joining me now is Ari Plakta, climate reporter for the Sacramento Bee. Ari, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Mina. Thanks for having me. I'm thinking our San Francisco listeners might not feel it as much, but it has been a hot July in California. Can you give us a sense of the heat waves Californians have been enduring in the last couple of weeks, especially in other parts of this state? Yeah, I mean, for basically everywhere other than the Bay Area in California and some other coastal communities, July has been just a record-breaking month of triple-digit temperatures, Um, particularly in the inland areas of the Central Valley in Southern California. Just this last weekend, Death Valley hit 122 degrees and um, Redding reached 113. So it's pretty brutal. So, so what proportion of Californians have AC? Because these high temperatures mean that lots of us are using AC if we're lucky enough to have it. Right. The percentage of households with air conditioning in the state ranges pretty widely, as you might imagine. In San Francisco, only 46% of homes have AC, but in Los Angeles, for example, only 20% of homes don't have it. Um, And that's according to the American Housing Survey. In Sacramento, that figure is, is even lower. 
Um, there's also a disparity between single family homes, which are mostly occupant owned and multifamily rentals. So data from the Department of Energy showed that 67% of multifamily housing units in California lack AC compared to 33% of detached single family homes. I know that there have been some efforts to try to address those disparities. California has at least some kind of temperature requirements for homes, but it sounds like cooling still has a way to go. Can you just walk us through some of the efforts California has made to regulate home temperatures? Yeah, it's interesting because California has this reputation as a strong regulator, right? But the state has moved really slowly to create standards that would enforce cooling in residential buildings. So for decades, landlords have had to put heating units in uh, heating in their units by law, but they don't have to install AC even in the hottest parts of the state. And a bill in the state legislature last year AB 2597 from Assemblyman Richard Bloom, that would have begun to set cooling standards, but it was heavily opposed by the California Apartments Association. Um, They say that retrofitting existing buildings just isn't economically feasible. So instead, the state's housing agency is supposed to form policy recommendations to the legislature by 2025. Um, And I expect there's going to be a lot more heat waves until then. So the recommendations don't come for another year and a half to two years then. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Some localities, I guess, are taking matters into their own hands. Can you tell us what L.A. is doing? Yeah, L.A. has um, basically directed city staff to study the costs and feasibility of requiring cooling in all residential units. They're also still kind of in the throes of that process, but should be um, presenting city findings and discussing it further soon. Um, And a a major part of this issue is just that low-income renters and the elderly especially are just the least likely to have air conditioning, which is a big part of LA, which is uh, dominated by a lot of low-income rental housing. And a growing body of research shows that extreme temperatures fall hardest on communities of color, especially in historically redlined neighborhoods and dense urban areas. Yeah. So really, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I really appreciated the point that you made that in your reporting that extreme heat is actually becoming routine heat. And with it, you know, the need for ways to cool and, as you say, for rules around what constitutes a fair and equitable distribution of cooling and cooling homes. Is there a discussion in the legislature about a cool home being a right, Ari? I think that is something that advocates would would love to see. I mean, those advocates are really quick to point out that the lack of laws around home cooling is just a really obvious and glaring double standard, right? If, if landlords and uh, rental home owners have been forced to supply home heating for decades, but as we see more of these extreme and frequent heat waves, there's sort of nothing that they are required to give um, tenants and residents of those homes. So I think it's safe to say we can expect those calls for for cooling standards and for a quicker process to grow more loud. But I know those advocates are also frustrated that the only time we talk about this is during the summer or the fall when we're experiencing a heat wave, right? 
Um, and people, people get so creative looking for ways to cool down if they don't have AC, but mostly they just suffer. And many of them that I've talked to are, are at high risk for heat exhaustion or even heat stroke. So it's, it's a life and death issue. Ari Plakta, climate reporter for the Sacramento Bee. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Joining us now is Ian McGavisk, Senior Fellow at RMI, Rocky Mountain Institute, and author of the Global Cooling Status and Opportunities Report for the United Nations Environment Program. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mina. Hearing Ari describe just the need for air conditioning as the result of a warming climate where we're seeing more extreme heat is very important. But Ironically, air conditioning is also contributing to a warming climate, and that's one of the things that I really want to discuss with you. Before we dig into how, with its energy usage and refrigerants and so on, can you just remind us how your standard AC unit works? Sure. The, you know, the, the cooling sector is kind of divided into two segments. There's the air conditioning segment, which is getting a lot of focus, but there's also the refrigeration segment. And those are about equally split from an energy and, and, a, and an emissions standpoint. Mm. But both those market segments use a standard what's called a vapor compression cycle. So there's a compressor, an evaporator, a condenser, some fans, and an expansion valve, and a little p- controller that, that makes all those things work together. And so that technology has been around for you know for decades. And there's been marginal improvements to the efficiency, but essentially where you've seen, you know, uh, monumental change in other industries and other technologies. That vapor compression cycle and those components have been used for um, for a long time, and there hasn't been a major change in the technology to use in air conditioning systems. And the systems lower the temperature, but they also reduce humidity? They do. So part of comfort cooling is not just the temperature you feel, but it's the humidity you feel as well. And so in any air conditioning system, you're both reducing the temperature which is called sensible heat, and you're lowering, lowering the humidity, which is called latent heat. So you get a, a comfort level in a conditioned space that, you know, feels good for a person to be into. You know, we've all been in uh, it, outside when it's 70 degrees and it feels okay, but it's so sticky, it's so humid, uh, and that's not a comfortable, right, that's not a comfortable environment to be in. Right. But with that combination of things that the AC unit or the AC system does uses a lot of energy, right? Can you give us a sense of how much energy, say, a home AC typically consumes? Well, it, it depends on the size of the AC, but, you know, it's not uncommon to spend four, five, six hundred dollars a, a year on your air conditioning system. And in larger homes, in hot climates, I mean, that can be uh, four, five, six hundred hours a month on your air conditioning system. So, you know, they, they use a lot of energy. And, you know, as the previous guest talked about, the density of air conditioning in the U.S. is fairly high compared to other parts of the world. Do they do well in the kind of heat that we're seeing, say, above 95 or 100 degrees that we're seeing in parts, lots of parts of California this month? They do, because most of the air conditioning systems, there's a set of standards that the manufacturer's designed to. And the typical standard is a 95-degree outdoor temperature. So units are designed to run at that 95 to 100-degree outdoor temperature and still maintain comfort inside the home. So that's really the, what we call the design point for, uh, for home air conditioners. Okay, because my understanding was they work less efficiently the higher the heat. Are you thinking that 
95 to 100 may actually be too low a threshold? No, 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 no. So, uh, so they, they will still be able to cool the home, but they're going to use a lot more energy to do it. I so they're see. designed to meet that capacity at that 95 degrees. But as that outdoor temperature rises, they certainly use more, uh, more electricity to do that. I see. Well, listeners, you are invited to join the conversation with your questions about how your AC unit works, uh, about the climate impact of air conditioning. It was something that I didn't realize the extent of until I started preparing for this conversation. If you have AC, I wonder if you have tips for using it more efficiently, or if you don't, or try to avoid using it, how you keep cool. Or maybe you have an alternative to AC that you want to tell us about. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or threads. We're at KQED Forum. You can Give us a call. We're at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And this listener writes, plant trees all around that keep the house, condo, or apartment building in shade, or put in awnings to provide shade for apartment buildings. Wear wet clothes, run a fan over a bowl of ice water, use spray water bottle to spray yourself with a fan. Ian, do you try to avoid using your AC Oh, I think everybody does. I, I mean, I think that, you know, just the cost of running an AC is, um, you know, anybody would avoid it if they could. But I think that uh, that listener is spot on with a number of those recommendations, right? There's a whole um, a whole set of work being done on what are called passive strategies, which include planting trees, which include um, awnings and shading. And the first way to minimize the impact of air conditioning is to minimize the use of your air conditioner. And those things are all very effective at reducing the demand to, for, for air conditioning. We'll have more with Ian after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. As Californians endure a string of heat waves this month, we're taking a closer look at the air conditioner, its climate impact, and how to deal with it. 
And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions about how air conditioning is affecting the climate, tips on how to use air conditioning more efficiently, or if you don't have it, how to keep cool without it. You're calling us at 866-733-6786, emailing forum at kqed.org, or finding us on our social channels. I want to bring into the conversation Dr. Anshul Kohli, climate policymaker for California's Air Resources Board. Hi, Dr. Kohli. Hey, Mina. Thank you for having me. And Ian McGavis is also with a senior fellow at Rocky Mountain Institute. Anshul, I want to ask you about another part of the effect that air conditioning has. We've been talking with Ian McGavis about the energy that they consume. But as he noted, there's another component in the environmental impact that California is focused on, and that's the refrigerants they contain. Talk about this. What are the chemicals that we're using in ACs? Yeah, very happy to talk about that. So most air conditioners and refrigeration systems, including your home refrigerator that you use to keep food cool, uses a chemical called a refrigerant that transports heat from one place to the other. And that's how the food in your refrigerator stays cold. And that's how your home stays cold. It's basically a heat transfer fluid that takes away heat from where it's not wanted and puts it to a place where it's okay to reject that heat. Refrigerants are generally fluorinated chemicals. Those are the predominant refrigerants that we use right now. There are some non-fluorinated ones too. Um, They tend to have a really high, what we call global warming potential, which is a measure of the chemical's ability to trap heat. So mm. once this is released into the air, it, uh, it it is a potent climate warmer. It's a potent greenhouse gas that traps heat. So what at CARB we do is we regulate the types of refrigerants that can be used in different types of equipment. Well, my understanding is that hydrofluorocarbons are really common. And did I read right that they have a global warming potential that is thousands of times more potent than carbon dioxide? Yes, you're right. These uh, the, the most common refrigerants in use right now are hydrofluorocarbons or HFCs. And they do have, um, their climate forcing impact can be anywhere between hundreds to thousands of times. So we have some HFCs that may have a global warming potential that's 100 or 200, and then we also have others that are 10,000. So there's a whole spectrum depending on which equipment you're talking about. They tend to use different types of refrigerants. So how are we making it hotter as we cool with regard specifically to these refrigerants? Are they leaking? Are they? How does it happen? Yeah, great question, Mina. So uh, this is the paradox of the cooling sector. The same refrigerants that we use to keep us cold inside our home, then once they're exposed to the environment, they are the, the same refrigerants that increase the global temperatures. So how um, how they get out is um, it could happen intentionally or unintentionally, just as you're servicing equipment or let's say you're moving um, and your equipment falls down or during its transport, it's hurt, 
there's an unintentional release of that refrigerant. And then there might also be intentional release of the refrigerant if you don't have a certified technician that is working on the appliance uh, or it's not discarded properly once it reaches its end of life. Uh, So the refrigerants over time tend to leak. They can also be recycled indefinitely if they're managed properly. So ideally we would want to have a circular economy where the refrigerant is used during the equipment's life. It's collected at the end, it's um, it's cleaned up at a reclamation facility and then reintroduced, but that's not always what happens. So the refrigerants do find their way into the atmosphere. Just on a practical level, if you're worried that you may have a refrigerant leak, what should you do? Um, what you should do is find a certified technician that has a US EPA certified license to handle refrigerants. You should ask them to follow the proper procedures. Generally, many of them are trained to do this very well, to detect where the leak is, fix up the leak rather than just adding more refrigerant to your appliance. And just so I'm clear, this refrigerant isn't bad for human health, is it? Or it doesn't have an impact on human health? Um, So yes and no. Most refrigerants in small quantities are all right. That's actually what makes them great refrigerants. Many of them are not toxic. They uh, mix very well with the ambient atmosphere. They, um, they're dissipated fairly easily. But you want to be careful if you're in a small room and you have a leak, it could turn if you if you have enough of that refrigerant, it's not um, it's not great for you. Most of the time, it's we're talking if it, we're talking about a small closet if there's a leak, but for the most part, they're not uh, they're they're not dangerous. But ultimately, they have this climate impact, which is then yes. ultimately dangerous for human yes. health. And it, what I'm understanding is that while these you know, hydrofluorocarbons might not make up a huge amount of the molecules that are in the atmosphere that are trapping heat. The fact that their capacity to trap heat is so high means that even a small amount can have a big effect. Exactly. And on top of that, they are right now the fastest growing greenhouse gases in California. They're increasing rapidly. Our need for air conditioners, refrigerators is expanding very quickly. Like, Ari alluded to earlier, we need air conditioning. There are more heat waves. So the demand is going up. And uh, so we just were using more refrigerants. Hmm. Uh, so yes, it is It is a concern. Well, we've got calls and comments coming in. Let me go to Michael in San Jose. Hi, Michael. You're on. Hi there. Um, I was hoping to get the guest's thoughts on heat pumps, which I honestly know very little about, but they keep coming up in the media and in other conversations. And I'm just curious how that fits into uh, modernizing air conditioning and and keeping comfortable. Uh, Thanks, Michael. Heat pumps. Okay. So, Ian, talk about that as uh, an alternative to your standard air conditioning unit. Sure. So a heat pump is essentially a heating and cooling unit in one unit. And the way it works is it it does your cooling in the summertime, and then you just push a button and it reverses that cycle and then does your heating in the wintertime. And it is hugely effective at replacing 
fossil fuels in the heating cycle. So heat pumps are designed to replace uh, gas-fired furnaces or oil-fired furnaces or very inefficient electric resistance heaters. When it comes to the cooling cycle, though, they perform the same as, as any air conditioner does. So a heat pump, while it's great and it's hugely important in decarbonizing the heating sector, it's really not doing much for the cooling sector from a, um, an environmental standpoint because it's pr- fundamentally it's the same air conditioner that you would buy if you were buying a what's called a cooling-only unit. And there are different models of heat pumps, right? Can you just talk a little bit about the technology? Well, sure. Um, the heat pump is, is, is as I said, a, a, an air conditioner and a heating unit in the same component. It uses the same refrigerants that we just talked about, so it uses that same working fluid. Um, but in the summertime, it takes the heat from outside, from inside and transfers it outside the home. And in the wintertime, it takes the heat uh, from outside and transfers it into the home. And that technology has also been around for a long time. But with changes to compressors and to uh, the refrigerants, and to the componentry and controls as well, they become much more efficient. And so where heat pumps were only suitable for, say, southeast United States, where the climate was fairly moderate, now you can apply a heat pump pretty much across the U.S. and have a very good efficiency rating in the heating mode. I've been reading about the growth of geothermal heat pumps or in larger like multi-unit buildings and so on. Um, are we talking about the same thing when we're saying heat pump and geothermal heat we, pump? We, we are talking about the same thing, but the difference is where we transfer the heat to. In geothermal, we're taking that, uh, we're taking that heat and we're transferring it into the ground. In an air-to-air heat pump, we're taking that heat and we're transferring it into the atmosphere. So geothermal is a, is a little more efficient because those temperatures that you're taking the heat and placing it into the ground are... Uh, are cooler and they can absorb the heat uh, faster and, and much more efficiently than maybe when you transfer to um, to the outdoor ambient air. Well, the Cisner writes, I had my heating and cooling system replaced with a heat pump after installing solar panels. My monthly PG&E bill is between zero and $20. It can be a lot to replace it, but the savings I understand, you know, in 10 or so years often is when you get it back. Sue writes, heat pumps are quite efficient, both heat and cool. The problem is many of our older homes need an upgrade to their electrical capacity, and often the rebates and incentives are confusing to get. Can you talk about that in terms of need to upgrade your electrical capacity if you're going to do a heat pump, Ian? Well, if you're using uh, gas or oil today to heat your home and you decide to convert to a heat pump, then you're going to need the electrical service to be able to supply electricity to that heat pump. So that is a valid point. I would say if you're replacing an air conditioner today, though, replacing it with a heat pump should be an option that shouldn't really impact your electrical service because the electrical service is already there to handle the cooling load and it should be sufficient to handle the heating load as well. So, Anshul, can you talk a little bit about California's efforts right now to try to not just address the refrigerants that are in your standard air conditioning units, um, but also what other options there are that California is interested in? Thanks, Mina. Um, So right now we do have pretty large incentives that we offer 
through the California Energy Commission, uh, the legislature has allocated close to a billion dollars for decarbonizing buildings. And that that program is very much focused on low-income and disadvantaged communities. Um, and uh, the, the speaker that just raised the issue about electrical panel upgrades, that is also covered as part of the incentives. So there is a, a massive push that to electrify our buildings so that we have cleaner air in our homes. Uh, we're not relying, continuing our reliance on fossil fuels. And at the same time, we're also changing out the types of refrigerants that we use in those appliances. So it's a, um, and at the same time, on the back end, we're cleaning up the electric grid. So the electricity that powers the appliances is also clean electricity as much as possible. Do you feel like, Ian, that renewables are being developed at a fast enough rate to meet the energy man that Anshul has described with regard to cooling and cooling, our cooling needs? A low carbon grid is critical to getting to close to net zero cooling. So can it go fast enough? I I don't think so. It, It can always go faster. I think one of the important uh, factors in looking at air conditioning is making sure that the most efficient air conditioning is put in whenever a replacement or a new installation occurs in order to minimize the need for electricity so that grid transition uh, can keep up and happen and happen faster without having to add a lot of grid infrastructure because of the increase of cooling. Yeah. Well, Trish writes with regard to rebates, we just took advantage of an offer to have heat pump air conditioning and heating replace our 10-year-old HVAC system. We are receiving 6500 in rebates and tax credits as a result, which made this project very affordable. Our heating costs will be much less expensive in the winter, particularly with a solar array that has offset all of our electrical expenses since it was installed five years ago. Um, let me go to caller Jay in Pleasanton. Hi, Jay. Join us. I mean, um, uh, interesting conversation. Thanks. So, um, um, yeah, I would like to share that uh, the, um, there is one other alternative that that can be used other than ACs and heat pumps. Uh, you could potentially use desert coolers or air coolers, uh, as you may, uh, which have been used in like developing countries uh, in especially uh, very dry climates, dry and hot climates, because it, it uh, although it introduce, introduces cold, humid air into the home, as long as it's uh, like California or Nevada or Arizona, you can technically use it without too much strain on your electrical system, and uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't pose any harmful uh, uh, side effects. Hmm. Jay, thanks. And uh, one other thing is, one other thing you could do is uh, improve the insulation. So essentially, all of these can be used as a retrofit. Uh, to existing homes, which might be really old, wherein the landlords might say that, okay, they can't do any upgrades. Uh, well, Jay, that's that's so true. I mean, improving your insulation is is a big deal. Uh, Ian, do you have any thoughts on desert coolers that Jay's bringing up? They, I, I do, and, and those are effective in, in very dry climates. Um, so in, in a dry climate where, you know, just the evaporation effect alone helps provide a cooling effect. Um, the challenge globally, honestly, is that the, the growth for air conditioning is in the 
hot, humid climates. And that's one of the challenges that the, the industry faces as a whole is how do we satisfy that need in those hot, humid climates? And one of the only ways to do that, unfortunately, is with that same vapor compression you know, air conditioner we talked about. So, so Angel was talking about how to change the refrigerants that are being used. Is there a chemical solution to this? And I only ask because, you know, hydrofluorocarbons, as I understand, became much more common and adopted after we replaced chlorofluorocarbons because we realized mm-hmm. that was depleting the ozone layer. So I, I guess I'm just wondering, like, is there a better chemical so than hydrofluorocarbons? There's a huge... Um, there's a huge debate on refrigerants and, and what is the best refrigerant for the application. And, you know, there's a set of refrigerants called natural refrigerants, and that's propane, ammonia, CO2. And all of those are very effective, but they all come with, you know, with some challenges around safety. Um, and so these synthetic refrigerants are very effective, but, um, but they do have some, you know, some vi- environmental impacts. So you go to different parts of the world and you have a different discussion around which refrigerant to be, should be used or could be used. So that's a very hot topic for policymakers uh, on a global scale. But, you know, I think the important thing to do is stay open-minded about using the best refrigerant for the right application. And so for low-temperature applications, there are certain refrigerants that perform very well. For higher-temperature or air-conditioning applications, there are certain refrigerants that, that perform very well. And so, you know, I think it's, it's important that from an overall environmental standpoint, we, we're open-minded about which refrigerant and what the efficiency impact of that refrigerant is in different applications. Let me go to Ken and Davis. Hi, Ken. You're on. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Thanks a lot for putting this together. Um, I live in Davis. We're pretty fortunate because we get the Delta breeze. We may have the 100-degree days, but uh, the temperature drops down to 60 degrees at night. So we have what's called a whole house fan, which uh, is up Mm -hmm. in the ceiling, and it sucks all the air out through your windows and vents out the uh, attic. And a lot of people know the attic will heat up to 100 degrees, 120 degrees, even higher during the hot days. And so what ends up happening is that even though you open your windows at night and the air comes through, you got this heat sink up on top of your, in your attic. So venting that out. And most of the time when we don't have uh, back-to-back 105-degree days, we don't run the AC at all. Now, we're fortunate we're in Davis that we have this Delta breeze. I know other parts of the country, you know, it stays hot at 90 all the time, but it is an alternative for some places. Well, Ken, thanks for sharing that. And uh, we are hearing, listeners, your tips for how to keep cool without using AC and also learning more about the climate impact of air conditioning as demand grows for it and also about alternatives that are available. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're having a lot of heat waves this month, and we're talking about how the air conditioner is often our solution, but it has a climate impact. So the state is trying to mitigate that impact, and advances in air conditioning tech is also trying to mitigate that impact. We're talking about it with Ian McGavisk, Senior Fellow at Rocky Mountain Institute, author of the Global Cooling Status and Opportunities Report for the United Nations Environment Program. We've got Dr. Anshul Kohli with us, a climate policymaker for California Air Resources Board. And we've got you, our listeners, sharing your tips, asking your questions. Email forum at kqed.org. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads. We are at KQED Forum. Katie writes, in places where it's cooler at night than the day, a whole house fan is a great way to cool your house. Just heard about that from Ken in Davis before the break. Another listener says, invest in insulating your house. It cuts down on the amount of heat that comes in on warm days and installs some ceiling fans. They move the air and really make a difference on hot days. Let me go to caller Helen in Berkeley next. Hi, Helen. Join us. Hello. Uh, Great show, and thank you for taking my call. So my understanding is that the refrigerants are not being disposed of properly at the end of their life and that they need to be carefully collected and transformed into other chemicals that don't cause warming. So there needs to be like these proper procedures needs to be standard practice. And I'm wondering what regulations are in place now, uh, what mandates and what needs to be done about it. In the book, Drawdown, edited by Paul Hawkins, this was the number one, it was number one, this issue was number one in drawing down carbon. Hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you, Helen. Uh, Anshul, can you address Helen's questions about the regulations and, and all that? Yes. Yes, thank you, Helen. Um, you are absolutely right. That is a very important issue. Um, and it is true, we have not always seen the best recovery practices at the end of an equipment's life. Um, And we are at at the California Air Resources Board really committed to changing that. We do have regulations in place that require no venting of refrigerants, as we call them, anti-venting regulations. The federal government, the US EPA also has anti-venting prohibitions in place. What we at CARB, the California Air Resources Board, are now doing is for air conditioners in particular, for a limited term, we're trying a program where manufacturers are required to use a certain percentage of recycled refrigerant in the new equipment that they make. So what that does is it gives a stronger economic incentive to collect refrigerant at the end of life because once it's cleaned up, then it can also be used in new equipment. Uh, in addition to that, in California, very recently we had uh, we had a new le- we have a new legislative mandate that going forward will only allow recycled and reclaimed refrigerants to be used in in existing equipment. And again, this this forces a circular economy to. Uh, to utilize this refrigerant as much as we can over its lifetime. 
there's also an international HFC phase-down in effect that ratchets down the supply, the production, consumption of HFCs, uh, forcing, forcing the supply to keep going down and increases the amount of refrigerant that is going to be recycled. So we have do have measures in place. Um, and there's a lot that industry is also working on through better training programs to ensure that the refrigerant is recycled. But uh, you're right, it, it is still a challenge. Well, let me go to caller Larry, who also, I think, has a point about refrigerants. Larry, join us. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I wanted to point out that if, if there's going to be an incentive to recycle, it needs to start with a person who's either heading to the dump and paying $37 for one refrigerator because they're going to take the refrigerant out or a guy who's going to throw the refrigerator off the side of the road because he can't afford to pay for one fridge. So if there's an incentive to be made, it should be for give people 10 bucks for bringing their refrigerator in instead of charging them $37, $40 like they do in Berkeley, mm. which makes it you know expensive for people to do the right thing. Huh, Larry, thanks. Are we, I don't know that this is, a, this is more of a local issue, perhaps, Anshul, but just in terms of incentivizing the right things and charging the right people when it comes to trying to make a dent in this issue. Yeah, thank you for that comment. Uh, there are a few local utility programs that pay uh, a significant amount of money to collect the refrigerator so that it is treated properly. I know at the California Air Resources Board, um, this, this is something we take into consideration. And there's also a, a role for utilities and local air districts uh, to help more on the ground, what, what can be done as the equipment reaches its end of life. Uh, but, uh, but that is a good point. Well, Larry, thanks. Daniel writes, I have an evaporative cooler that uses water and blows hot air out of the house. They don't work so well in hot, high humidity, but we don't have many days like that here. No refrigerants, just water. Similarly, Michael writes, I have a second house in Palm Desert, which I go to each month. Last week when I was there, it got up to 120 degrees at my house and never below 94 degrees, even at 4 a.m. Wow. But I use my swamp cooler system rather than my AC system as much as possible. It is far cheaper and works well if there is low humidity. Alas, it only lowers temperatures between 15 and 20 degrees. So when it is 120 outside, it is of little use. One trick is to use the swamp cooler as early as possible to get the house as cold as possible before the heat rises outside. You know, interestingly, Ian, I'm remembering your comment about um, how these things work well in drier places like California, but that in very humid places and dense places like India, for example, or even in other parts of the country, they may have limited uh, benefits, I guess, for lack of a better better word. I, I, I guess the question that I have is, it feels like across the globe, as the planet is warming, there's a much greater demand for cooling and a much greater demand as a result for air conditioning. You're saying that it'll be very hard, if not impossible, for renewables to keep up with this expanding universe of people who want access to you know, this air conditioning technology. The, the problem feels a little monumental when I think about it in that way. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts around how we deal with that. Uh, it, 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 it does feel monumental. And, and if you 
try to quantify that, between now and 2050, the demand for cooling is going to increase by a multiple of three. So if you think we have a problem today, you know, as the planet warms and we see more urbanization and we see more population growth and we see GDP improvement in a lot of countries where income growth allows people to purchase air conditioning, you know, the, the demand um, will be at least 3x what it is today. And that means the energy required will be at least 3x today if we don't do something different. And so the, the focus really needs to be on implementing and, and deploying high efficiency equipment to make sure that we're using the, mo- the best available technology in the market. Too often we tend to move to the worst available technology because it's the cheapest. But policymakers, um, legislators need to help us move towards that best available technology to help keep that, um, uh, keep that energy requirement to a, to a minimum because it's going to be an enormous growth in the air conditioning sector. Ian, there was this article in Time that asked a really interesting question that I'd just be curious to get your thoughts on. It was this question of why we're comfort cooling in the first place. Safety cooling, fine. But do we have a certain entitlement to comfort cooling that might be a little bit out of whack that is that is driving this a little bit and, and that maybe we should actually think about ways to develop our capacity to tolerate heat? Well, I I think that is, I think there's some validity to that. And I think that gets back to some of these discussions we had around, you know, passive measures like planting trees, uh, improving insulation, improving windows. Um, Those are all ways to help reduce the need. And then the other thing there is, there is just, you know, human behavior. Um, does the thermostat need to be set at 70? It makes a dramatic difference if you set that thermostat at 78. Um, and so I think there, you know, there's, that's a valid discussion that should be had. And, and are we, have we, have we trained ourselves to be, um, you know, to be way forcing ourselves down that comfort curve, right? So that we're, we're completely comfortable when, when we don't necessarily need to be. Do you know if there is an issue in terms of having constant access to a certain temperature actually prevents our bodies from acclimatizing to hotter weather? I think it's a great question, but it's one that I certainly don't know the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go to Eve in Santa Rosa. Hi, Eve. Thanks for waiting. You're on. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you. I've heard um, most of the things um, that I would have had to say already mentioned, like you know, having good insulation, closing everything up in the hottest part of the day, drawing shades, etc. Um, one thing I haven't heard is that I do have a heat pump system that is run with my solar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that I actually have a combination of ductless and ducted um, systems. So the, the room where I have the ductless um, is the one that I keep cool. Um, and I don't have to cool the whole house. So that's super helpful. Um, And generally, I only run my AC for an hour or two on the hottest nights just so that I can get cool enough to sleep. Um, The other thing that I have found really helpful is just to submerge my face in a bowl of ice water occasionally, and that really cools my body down. Um, And I'm told that has something to do with the vagus nerve, but maybe your panelists know something about that, but it's super effective. Um, You know, like, take take a deep breath, submerge your face um, as long as you can, um, do that two or three times, and it's really a huge relief. 
Well, Eve, thanks for those tips. Uh, let me go to Michael in Oakland. Hi, Michael. Join us. Yeah. Hi. Um, so for keeping cool when you're trying to sleep, uh, there are a couple of systems there. One is called Eight Sleep. Another is called Uller, uh, where it's a mattress pad. So it goes on top of your mattress. And inside of it, it has this web of hollow tubes. And the way the system works is there is an external device that pumps water through the tubes. And so the, the water goes under where your body is between you and the mattress and sucks all the heat out and brings it back to the unit where it cools it back down again and then pumps the water through underneath you again. You don't feel it going back and forth. It, it's completely undetectable. But the, the result is the bed stays remarkably cool, even if the room is quite warm. Um, it's more comfortable than having a room that is AC and a hot bed, which is what you wind up with if you just use an air conditioner. And it's way more energy efficient. And it's also quieter than air conditioning. Huh. So they're great systems. Oh, well, Michael, thanks. Um, let me remind listeners that you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Lucy in San Jose. Hi, Lucy. You're on. Hi. Um, I was just saying that uh, I'm surprised that um, there is no, uh, uh, that uh, nobody has uh, has um, suggested about materials uh, that the homes should be made uh, of. For example, my home, uh, parts of the floor, the flooring is uh, tiled. Uh, and so uh, it's actually very cool during the summer. I don't have air conditioning, but when my guests enter my home, they think it's air conditioned because it's pretty cool when you enter my home. Now that has some, uh, uh, during winter, um, it might be, uh, it may take longer to uh, to heat the home, but uh, there are solutions to that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank so, you for uh, bringing in I, materials. Yes, uh, I think uh, mat materials for the home, for outside the home and the interior of the home, uh, that's very important to, uh, to, to raise also. Well, well Lucy, thanks. Um, you know, Ian, I do want to ask you about innovations. I, I love these passive cooling tips as well, but I know that RMI has a global cooling prize, and I'm just curious like, what prize winners have proposed. That, that's pretty cool in your view. Well, the, the global prize winners, RMI, along with Clean Cooling Collaborative, sponsored a, a, a global cooling prize to identify an air conditioner that was five times as efficient as what's typically sold on the market today. And they were able to do that. There were two manufacturers that won the prize. But that technology was, again, very similar to that vapor compression cycle. They, these two manufacturers did a lot to control um, to control the, the energy efficiency and improve it. Um, part of that was through controlling the um, the humidity management in the space, in the room, um, but there there wasn't a real fundamental change in the technology that that won the cooling prize. So that's good news and bad news. Good news is that you know the technology is available today to help solve a lot of these problems. The bad news is there's no you know there's no silver bullet. There's no revolution in the air conditioning world that's going to um, that's going to scale up and, and solve the problem as well. So, you know, the, the the technology was demonstrated. The capability to do it is there. And now it's just mobilizing industry to go implement those solutions. Yeah. And, and Anshul, California is, you know, on an accelerated schedule, probably compared to the rest of the country in terms of trying to deal with 
you know, the refrigerants and the technology and, and also the climate impact and so on. Are you hearing if the rest of the country or the world is is doing what CARB is doing? Um, yes, actually, we're uh, we're really excited. The US EPA recently adopted regulations that are very similar to the ones that we at CARB have already put in place. Uh, there's still proposals at this time, but from what we hear, they, um, they, they're getting a lot of support from industry and others to, uh, to, to have rules that are similar to the rules that we already have in place. So, uh, yeah, we'll see the opportunity to multiply, um, m- multiply the effect that we can have if it were just in California alone. Right, that's true. That came out, I think, late last year. Um, well, just a couple of quick practical questions. Maybe Ian, this listener writes, how does running ceiling fans compare to running the AC in terms of energy impacts? Well, ceiling fans are great, and that's usually the entry-level air conditioning uh, of choice for, for, uh, for a lot of families and a lot of low-income families in particular. Um, it's great. It, it creates a cooling effect. But at the end of the day, there's a motor there that rejects heat into the space. So that cooling effect is temporary. And when the, when the fan is blowing, it's great. But when you turn it off, you've actually increased the heat in the room. But far, far less energy for a Far, far less operate. energy. Yeah. Correct. And another question around whether central AC or individual units are better for a home. Is there a verdict on that? I don't think there is. I think that you know the pre- one of the earlier callers talked about a ducted versus a ductless system, yeah. and you know she runs the ductless, and I do the same thing. Frankly, I put in a ductless system as well to cool one or two of the rooms in my house, so I don't have to run the central AC, and it helps lower the energy bill. So, you know, it really depends on the specifics of the home and how it's configured, and your you know your willingness to put in a second air conditioner in essence that uh, that but it may run more efficiently and and cool less of the home. What do you want listeners to keep in mind in terms of their pr- approach to, to cooling, basically, if you could leave us with one last thought? Well, if I can leave you maybe with, with more than one. First, I think these passive strategies are really important. Windows, insulation, reflective surfaces. Second, if you're going to buy an air conditioner, please buy the most efficient unit um, that you can. Um, it will pay for itself in the energy savings over the life of the equipment. And and third is to, you know, I think adjust that consumer behavior wherever possible. Live at that thermostat uh, a little bit warmer. And then this whole discussion of refrigerants, low global warming refrigerants are important. And a refrigerant doesn't impact the environment until it escapes. This whole discussion on recovery is hugely important. Well, Ian McGavisk of Rocky Mountain Institute, Anshul Coley of California Air Resources Board, so appreciate Having you both on with us, appreciate listeners for sharing their tips, tricks, and questions. Stay cool, as cool as you are, listeners. And thank you to Susie Britton for producing today's segment. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.